Welcome back to Kentucky History and Haunts. I have to apologize once again for taking so long to get an episode out. Things have been a little chaotic around here. Um, As you all know, I'm in real estate and the market starts to go crazy right about this time. Um, I also still have the foster puppy and she's very sweet and very good, but she's a puppy. It's still a lot of work. Um, I also randomly started having vertigo and I've never dealt with vertigo before. I went to the doc. He said, my ears look fine. I passed all the tests and sometimes you just get vertigo and there's no real reason. Um, So he put me on an anti-inflammatory and that seems to be helping. I feel, I'm starting to feel a little better or it's not happening as often. So that's good. So enough about me. Uh, We're doing something a little different today. I received a story from a woman whose family has roots in Kentucky and it's a ghost story. And it mostly takes place in Casey County, and then there's also a character in it from Clay County, which is where a lot of my ancestors are from. And this story was submitted by Holly Browning, okay? So it's a story about uh, Holly's family, and it's also a story about a piece of furniture. It's a really sweet story, so have a listen, check out the photos I'll post that go along with it, And big shout out to Holly for sharing this with me. One more thing before I get started. I did just see that um, three of the four Marines who were killed in the NATO exercise in Norway were from Kentucky or surrounding states. So I wanted to um, acknowledge them and say their names. Uh, 27-year-old Captain Matthew J. Tomkowitz of Fort Wayne, Indiana. Gunnery Sergeant James W. Speedy, 30 years old, from Cambridge, Ohio, and 24-year-old Corporal Jacob M. Moore from Callitzburg, Kentucky. Uh, Grateful for their service and praying for their families. Rest in peace. And now here's the story of Mary Lee. Our story begins in 1879, the end of a bustling decade for the western edge of Appalachian, Kentucky, in the county of Casey. Casey County is known for its broad valleys, rolling hills, and deep hollows. Located on the outskirts of a tiny hamlet called Mittenville was a place later to be named Argyle. On top of a ridge whose name differs depending on who you ask to this day, was born a baby girl named Mary Lee. Mary Lee was the first child of her parents together. Her father had lost a young bride, an infant child, and was in his second marriage to Mary Lee's mother. There's not a lot that is known about Mary Lee and her childhood besides two siblings that came after her. Sometime in the beginning of the decade of the 1890s, Mary Lee's life took a change when she met Eli. Eli was born in the eastern Kentucky hills of Clay County. His mother, America, was a Bowling, a pioneer family that traces its roots to Pocahontas and other native populations that roamed the Kentucky mountains. They were known for their jet black hair and dark almond-shaped eyes. Eli would be no exception. His dark looks gave him a handsome, almost roguish appearance. His childhood was an attestation to the time and rugged landscape of eastern Kentucky. His mother dies when he's a small boy, 
And as the story goes, his father, Elhanan, was more interested in taking up with the young neighbor woman and starting a new family. Eli and his two younger brothers were taken in by their eldest brother and his young family in Harlan County, Kentucky. Since there is no 1890 census, most information around this time has been passed down orally. Per a direct descendant of Eli, the young Eli got in some minor trouble and fled Harlan between 1885 and 1891. The exact reason for fleeing to Casey County could be one of two things. The first being the booming timber industry that was thriving in the county at the time. Per his marriage certificate in 1893, Eli's occupation was timberman. The other reason could be he knew he had cousins where he could board until he could build himself a home. Per his descendant, it was a little bit of both. Nonetheless, it wasn't long before he laid eyes on the eldest daughter of neighbor Jeremiah. One can only imagine the excitement a dashing young gentleman outsider must have brought to the rural ridge. So in October of 1893, when the leaves displayed their colors and fell quietly to the ground, Eli married Mary Lee. She is just the tender age of 14. Eli built them a small cabin next to her family, and they settled into life's rhythms. By the time three years had passed, there were two lovely little girls in the home, Maggie and Betty. In the small cabin built for his girls, in the midst of a long-forgotten apple orchard, life was lived in its ordinary cycles. As the world eagerly awaited the dawning of a new century, Mary Lee became pregnant in 1899. Sons were most coveted at the time to help their fathers with the daily tasks and to carry on the family name. Were they hoping for a little boy to add to their brood? Was Eli anticipating a healthy son to continue his heritage? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Nestled in their tiny cabin was an elegant yet unadorned iron frame bed. Styled with classic elements of the time, such as ball accents in the vertical rods of the headboard and footboard and curved signature, it was a piece of understated gentility. For a small family with a meager income, its toughness and durability would be its best feature. In the 1890s, beds were mainly used for three purposes, sleep, sex, and giving birth. The latter provides the backdrop to the rest of the story. It is not known the precise conditions of Mary Lee's pregnancy, but sometime in 1899, a rural doctor, or most possibly a midwife or trained female family member, was summoned to the cabin on the ridge. It was time for the arrival of the new baby. As Eli and his two little girls waited, something went terribly wrong. Labor is such an intense assortment of anxiety, fear, and unrelenting pain. 
pain that builds like crest in a wave where you fight from going under. Complications could arise quickly and inadvertently cause death to mother and child. It was far from uncommon. One can be sure the young Mary Lee was fighting to stay above the waves. Alas, the battle was lost, and the Lord saw fit to take Mary Lee and her infant away from their earthly home. Eli lost his young bride and was left with two heartbroken little girls who could barely comprehend they would never see their beautiful mama again. She was buried in a small cemetery across the ridge under a canopy of giant trees that sway when the wind blows. There's a lovely view of the rolling hills and fields of present-day Argyle, Kentucky. On the day of Mary Lee's burial, there exists a single photo of a solemn-faced Eli sitting in a chair flanked by his little girls, whose faces portray a heaviness of experience far beyond their years. Within two years, Eli found a new stepmother to his daughters and remarried in 1902. By the 1910 census, Eli and family had relocated north to Indiana, and more children were born to what was described as an unhappy union. It is said by this time in Eli's life, he was known as a hateful, hard man. Losing his mother as a boy and his young bride and infant was enough to do its damage. In his mid-forties, Eli drank bad moonshine, causing his brain to swell, killing him. His body was shipped back by train to Casey County to be buried in a cemetery less than a mile from his Mary Lee. Eli's land and cabin were bought in the mid-1910s by my second great-grandparents as a newly married couple. Within the cabin was left only the stove and an iron bed frame as a reminder of all that was lost to the young family. Approximately 40 to 50 years later, my great-grandmother, whom I called Mama, was visiting her childhood home on the ridge and found an old iron bed frame half-caked in the dirt in the remote corner of the barn. The old cabin where her parents first lived now sat across the newer house that was built while the family expanded, and after a rural road snaked through the ridge. My family has always loved antiques and anything pertaining to history, so the frame was cleaned up and brought north to Ohio. Fast forwarding once again another 50 or so years, and the now pretty burgundy colored bed frame was fixed up and put into the bedroom of a pretty toe-headed girl named Riley. Riley being another great-granddaughter of Mama. Looking back, there was nothing out of the ordinary for several months, and the change was gradual. Riley began to feel like she was being watched. She would turn around expecting to see someone in her family, but no one would be there. A few times, she was so sure she would call out, Mom, and then find her mom in another room. Since this sort of thing could easily be due to an overactive imagination, nothing further was really thought of. Then came the knocks. They didn't happen all at once, but were spread out over time. But to Riley, she, she got the sense that something was trying to play with her. There wasn't a sense of dread, but an almost impish nature, like tricks being played. Riley told her parents, but she was not afraid. 
Two years after the bed was brought in, during an ordinary summer, 13-year-old Riley was home alone making a pizza. As she opened the oven door to take her meal out, she heard her bedroom door slam shut. Startled, she jumped, causing the pizza pan to swing sideways and burn her forearm. She still carries the scar to this day to remind her of the occasion. Even at this point, it wasn't totally obvious on the hows and whys of these occurrences and what they were connected to. When Riley was a little girl, she came home from a friend's house and told her father that she had seen his maternal grandmother standing by her bed in what she describes as a long peach nightgown. This would be impossible as her great-grandmother was dead. When probed further about the incident, her dad realized she was describing his grandmother's favorite robe, which Riley had never seen. Did she possess a certain sensitivity to these things? She would soon find out. She soon began to feel a bit of trepidation as she couldn't figure out why it was focused on her and the area of her room. She was overly empathetic and highly perceptive, even at a young age. At times, she could hear almost a faint whisper as she laid down to sleep. It was low enough that she couldn't quite make out the words, but it sounded like a woman's voice. Finally, it seemed to click into place that these happenings coincided with the old bed frame's arrival. Then one night, as she was scrolling through her phone before bed, she caught movement out of the corner of her eye, and as she raised her gaze to the open doorway, the light from the hallway illuminated the faint silhouette of a small boy. She kept a flashlight by her bed, and by the time she turned it on and flashed the doorway, there was nothing there. She began to question her grandma where the bed came from and shared her concerns that it might have something to do with these unexplained events. She was told how the frame was found in the barn that was set behind the old family home in Casey County, Kentucky. No one seemed to have any knowledge as to where it had come from before then. As a young girl beginning high school and navigating the perplexities of growing up, these happenings seemed a bit heavy to handle. When she was home alone, she began to speak out loud whenever she would feel the familiar sensation of being watched. She would say, You certainly may be family, but you're scaring me, and I want you to leave me alone. Did it work? Apparently not, for not soon after, as she settled in bed for the night, she heard the creak of the bed springs and a small indent as if someone had just sat down. She immediately froze and closed her eyes shut tight, and at that moment, she heard the mournful sound of what sounded like a lullaby being hummed by a female voice, then felt the soft graze of a hand sweeping her forehead. At this, she jumped up and ran out of the room as fast as she could. When, years later, she was relating the full story to me, she explained she felt there were two presences, a woman and a little boy. She never felt threatened, or even a darkness to the situation, but added how unnerving it felt to realize how thin the veil was between the living and those gone before. 
I felt the boy was a little prankster, she said, always seeming to play tricks, such as the disordered knocking, and even going as far as to playfully grab my foot in bed. She continued, I felt as if the woman wanted to comfort me in a way as I tried to sleep, with the hums and faint whispers in the air. How utterly intrigued I was. I was three years into studying family history and genealogy, and historical things are my passion. I inquired where the bed frame was now, and no one seemed to know what had happened to it. I was grieved for the loss of something I thought had intrinsic value as an antique and a possessor of unearthly knowledge. During this time, I had been exchanging messages with the distant cousin I had recently met through family research. Also an avid historian, he grew up on the same ridge where my family lived and Eli and Mary Lee made their home long ago. Yet, I knew not how connected he would be to the story until I told him what my cousin Riley had just shared about her ghost story and the old iron bed frame. He immediately responded with, Yes, I know the bed frame you're speaking of, and I also may know your ghost. So he began to relay the story to me of Eli and Mary Lee. It just so happened I shared the story to the only person who had spent years of his life researching Eli and his family. You see, Eli was his second great-grandfather. He had descended through him and his second wife. As a boy, he would follow his beloved grandfather around and he would listen to the vivid stories of the past, which planted a seed for the love of history and heritage. At that time, he was told Eli's son, his great-grandfather, died never knowing or remembering crucial details about his father. There was no record of where he came from before he landed in Casey County. His great-grandfather was able to go on a search for his two half-sisters, the daughters of Mary Lee, and found one in the Chicago area. His half-sister relayed to him the woeful tale of her mother and her baby sibling that wasn't meant to be. She gave him a small tin-type picture of Eli and his girls on the day Mary Lee was buried in the cemetery overlooking the small valley. The details never really imprinted on minds so young, so there wasn't a lot she could really add to the story, except for a priceless photo that was passed down to the hands of those who would cherish it. In continuing his research, and with greater accessibility and a digital age, my cousin was able to find out the story of Eli's childhood in Clay County. He learned that Eli came to Casey County and married his beautiful young neighbor and built a small cabin with his own two hands. Since death certificates were not required yet in 1899, he was able to verify the death of Mary Lee through the existence of an old logbook that belonged to a doctor that lived on a neighboring ridge. Mary Lee died in childbirth on that bed, he explained. She had died frantically trying to give her child life, but it would not be meant to be. When the house was deserted, the new owners, my second great-grandparents, moved the remaining bed frame into their newly built barn to make room. If they were aware of its history, it was forgotten by the time it was pulled out of the mud that had begun to grow around it. I was astonished. This bed frame, did it carry deeply imprinted memories of what was most certainly a traumatic event? 
Skeptics say that there are no such things as ghosts that attach themselves to objects. They say it can be explained by an item holding energy and replaying itself like a recording. And there are those who can pick up the frequency more easily than others. Nonetheless, when I excitedly laid out the history to Riley, she was in utter disbelief. It explains so much, she exclaimed. The woman's spirit, who to her had a nurturing quality, like a mother trying to hum a song so she could comfort her child to sleep. Did Riley remind Mary Lee of the two little girls she had to leave behind? Did she continue on in a different form and watch over those as only a mother would do? And the sweet baby that was lost, was it another little girl? It was not so. Written in the logbook beside its mother's name was Infant Boy. Is that also a coincidence that the other presence was a small boy? Could it have been the older manifestation of the son Eli was devastated to lose? One thing that is known is whether it's a spirit, an energy, or just mere coincidence and imagination, a mother's love is eternal and can reach across heaven and earth. Young Mary Lee was like so many of her day, helpless to exist before the reduction of maternal mortality rates and live in a region where there was a higher overall rate of women dying during childbirth than the whole United States combined. Such a joyous aspect of one's life had to be looked upon with a bit of fear and trepidation. I often think of my own child and myself, who if God saw fit to have us live in a different time, our chances of making it through would have been slim. My child was born through special surgical purposes that did not exist in Mary Lee's time. I know the question of our placement in time here on earth will not be answered on this side of heaven, but I felt such an inner kinship and felt beckoned to write about Mary Lee and to find this priceless antique. My grandmother said it was possible that she gave it to her sister, my great aunt Jo. She just couldn't possibly imagine anyone letting it go out of the family. To my utter delight, the old iron bed frame was being stored in my Aunt Jo's shed, only 40 minutes from my home. She was more than happy to give it over to the family historian, as I've been lovingly called, a name I'm honored to bear. One of us will always be called on to be the storyteller, bound by an unknown longing to a place and time never lived, and to tell stories like Mary Lee's. At the present, the iron bed frame has found a home with me. It's being stored and eventually will be used again. Will the events repeat themselves once again? Only time will tell. Regardless of time, women are bound to the ones before them through common experience, strength, and hope. What one woman teaches the next generation reverberates through time like distant echoes. Are Mary Lee and her son connected to the bed frame that bore such trauma? Our family believes so, and we pray for their sweet rest in eternity. This story kind of resonated with me because I love old stuff, you know? Almost nothing in my house is new, pretty much everything is secondhand. And when I'm antiquing, which I do more than I probably should, I'm always wondering, you know, where was this thing before and what's its story? Because everything has a story, right? 
So I love this story about the bed. Um, my favorite thing is with books. I always love finding old books that have like really lovely, sweet inscriptions in them, you know? So, um, you know, cherish old things and pay attention to them and listen to what they have to tell you. Um, thanks again to Holly for bringing me that story. It's wonderful. Um, and I hope you all are doing well. Spring has sprung. Thank goodness. If you all have a story like Holly's that you'd like to share with me, please send it to kyhistoryhaunts at gmail.com or um, message it to me. However, you can do either a voice recording and I can play it or I prefer, like Holly did, you can type it, type it out, you know, and send me a Word document or send it in an email or whatever. All right. Thank you all for listening and until next time. Thank you.